Wonder Things Studios proudly presents the Roundtable Podcast, episode, wow, 100. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Denise Lehman. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned into the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come on the show and pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we sit and we talk about it and maybe we tear it up a little bit, but it's always for the best. (laughs) We dive into it, we explore what works and what doesn't, and we transform our delicate little caterpillar into a wonderful butterfly. And we always turn it into literary, literary gold. gold. A literary gold butterfly. Uh, and, and instantly I'm thinking steampunk, although that might be because <laughs> of our guest host for this episode. But I can see a little <laughs> gold steampunk butterfly flitting around saying, I'm an excellent story. I'm a fabulous story. <laughs> uh, Denise Lehman, my co-host for this episode and for the 20 minutes worth of seven days ago. Thank you so much. It was a delight having you as my as my wing person for that. And I got to say, I cannot let this pass uh, another week without congratulating you, uh, ma'am, on your debut as a cartoonist uh, <laughs> in, in Ander Libram's premiere of Ander Magazine issue one. Your, your Helma part one <laughs> comic strip uh, was, was a delightful commentary, I think. And uh, uh, only people that have read the novel, I think, will get it. But congratulations and well done. Oh my goodness, thank you. You know it was midnight when I drew that thing out. (laughs) Is there going to be a part two? Of course there is. I haven't figured it out yet, but there will be a part two, and it will be funny. (laughs) Well, congratulations for that. That is awesome, and I know cartooning and and the arts are are very much wired into your creative DNA, so I know we're looking forward to more of that. Another thing that we're looking forward to is our guest host, and do let's not wait any longer. Dear friends, from a fabulous and intriguing and inspired 20 minutes with of seven days ago, please welcome back to the big chair here at the round table cat rambo Cat, you you are no stranger to the round table big chair uh you've brainstormed with us several times and honestly i i I never get tired of the anticipating giddiness of and of of brainstorming another story with you ma'am thank you so much for making the time Thank you for asking me. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. See, and I have to hold myself back because I just, I would ask you for every show and then it would be the, the Dave and Cat <laughs> podcast, which has its merits, it actually, has its merits. but we, we, we need to diversify. Now, before we go any further, Cat, uh, uh, Denise, I need to recognize something here. Um, yes. What we're launching into right now is the Roundtable Podcast's 100th. Wow. Brainstorm. I know, right? Oh. And no, you didn't tell me that. No pressure. No pressure, right? Exactly. Well, see, and here's the thing. Uh, anybody that's clued into what's going on in my life knows the insanity that has descended upon me in the form of being named vice president of the Ed Greenwood Group uh, and, and leading the Ander Libram uh, uh, creative charge in the world. Uh, uh, so the mayhem, the, the, the fabulosity and the froth, uh, has expanded exponentially. Normally for a hundredth episode, there would be like champagne and cannons and sound effects at least. Uh, uh, and honestly, Kat, Denise, I could not think of anyone else I would rather spend my 100th brainstorm with than you two. So thank you both for being here for that. And, and for everyone tuning in, holy crap, what a ride. And it ain't over yet. So, yeah, there we go. Kat, uh, speaking of rides that aren't over yet, uh, <laughs> just oh, in researching your stalkerish intro, which wasn't so stalkerish, but still, holy crap, just since January, awards, conferences, publications, narrations, every all the things that's going on in the world of Cat Rambo, so I have no doubt the answer to this question is going to be very interesting. What's coming up in the world of Cat Rambo? Well, right now, I am finishing up the sequel to Beasts of Tibet and handing it over to beta readers at the end of this month. And so all of my time is consumed by that. (laughs) And cats. 
Ben Katz, yes. <laughs> I, I just fed him so he would not be obnoxious and he's, he's violating the social cause. He's happy. No, it was good no. food. He's happy. So, and what's the sequel to The Beasts of Tibet called? Hearts of Tibet. Ah, very good. Very good. And that's coming. <laughs> so you're still working on it. You can't even guesstimate as far as when that might be out in the world. No, it's, it's, we're shooting for, uh, end of August, early September is what, uh, I'm tentatively at least thinking. Wow. The nice thing about working with Word Fire is it's a very quick turnaround time. I mean, it's the nice thing about working with small presses. You don't have this sort of like a year to come out that you would with a traditional publisher. I like the big voice. The big voice well, is great. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, just traditional publishing. You feel like you need to put on the, the voice. I'm also actually making a face at the same time. <laughs> and this is that may be the only time in 100 Brainstorms I'm lamenting not doing this in video. So... <laughs> Well, obviously, that's going to consume your time, and and well, it should, especially with Beasts of Tibet being nominated for a Compton Crook Award, yeah. which is badass. Nice. Um, and so, Balticon is certainly in your future, coming up in yes. very shortly, just a month or so. Yeah. Uh, oh, holy smokes! The time, the time. So, <laughs> but but I know there's more on your radar besides that sequel. Presently, yes, absolutely. But what about casting your eyes ahead? Well, I'm going to then finish up. I have a YA book that's partially written that I want to go ahead and finish up and give to my agent. I am doing the revision of creating an online presence for writers, which uh, I just agreed to something today that I, means I need to get it done sooner uh, rather than later. Mm. I am doing CIFWA stuff. The Nebulas are coming up next month, so that will be fun and exciting. Right. Right, and then your trip to China in September. On a trip to China in September, and that's that's super. Oh, and I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to New Mexico uh, midway through the summer, on a writing retreat. And hey, I'm in New Mexico. Are you in New Mexico? Where in New Mexico am, are you? I'm actually uh, halfway between Alamogordo and Las Cruces. I will be in the Taos Ski Valley area. Oh, I shall come and see if I can find so, you. Awesome! 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 <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing the networking that happens everywhere, every day. Fabulous. Very cool. Well, and Kat, I would imagine you get to a point where there's so much going on that without your day planner in front of you, all you can talk about is what's right in front of you. You know, there's other stuff out there, but it really doesn't exist. Yeah, that's right. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, friends, as I mentioned in the 20 minutes with Kat is putting out roughly a newsletter a week, and it is chock full of goodness. Uh, so I can only recommend highly that you go out to either kittywampus.net or catrambo.com, your choice, and sign up for that newsletter so you can stay on top of all that fabulosity. Cat, I will make sure all of that goodness gets tucked into the liner notes for our listeners to make with the clicky click. Uh, uh, but right now, here's what I want to do. I, I want to pause, give a little airtime to another podcast or an ebook or a Kickstarter or some some other fabulosity that's happening out there in the world because holy crap, there's always something. And when we come back, Kat, Denise, mm-hmm. I, I yes. would love to brainstorm a story with you guys. What do you say? That sounds great. Yes. All right. I- we have an accord. Dear friends, <laughs> don't you go anywhere. We're going to be right back. What are you doing in the kitchen? Writing a short story. With a meat mallet? Well, yeah. My characters are giving me trouble. What about the cheese grater? I have to make sure my plot points are evenly spread through the whole story, don't I? Oh, my action scene is done. Wow, you got it perfectly browned. 350 degrees for 12 minutes. Ah, perfect. The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Short and flash fiction, author interviews, book reviews, and more. Come visit the Disaster Kitchen and cook up a story. Something's burning. My dialogue! Ugh. <sighs> 
Welcome back, dear friends, and now we get down to the business at hand. The reason why you're here and the reason why we're here. The story brainstorm. And that does not happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer striding boldly to the slightly uncomfortable writer's chair here in the studio to set the table <laughs> for our brainstorming feast. Uh, and dear friends, our guest writer for this episode is currently an English as second language teacher in Zhengzhou, Hunan, China. I think I got that right. He can correct me later. Uh, he came to storytelling in the best possible way, as any nerd can, mainlining his gateway drug of choice around the gaming table. Uh, and what began as a rousing collaborative storytelling association with a motley crew of band kids and thespians go actors, uh, has since turned into a labor of love, culminating recently in acceptance into the sensorium of creatives at Anderlebum. Yes, we are legion. We are everywhere. He has an article on gaming in the recently released Ander magazine. Uh, and as far as writing goes, he's already one novella deep into the Comets Fall series on Amazon. And he has a standing offer for anyone to come to Zhengzhou, and he'll show you Chinese food that is actually tasting like it's supposed to taste. Mm -hmm. uh, dear friends, please welcome to the writer's chair here at the round table, Kelby Barker. Kelby, dude, all the way from China, uh, I, that may be... Certainly one of the longest journeys anyone has made to the virtual studio. Dude, kudos for your cojones for stepping up and offering us a story. We are so appreciative, man. Thank you. Well, I am I'm honored to be here, especially for the uh, the one hundredth the one hundredth episode. I so, know our centennial, uh, right? Centennial. See, I need to use that word a lot too. This episode, our centennial episode. Yes. Sounds, <laughs> well, yes. Hey, you could not tell me our guest writer was a gamer. How could oh. you not tell me that? A gamer and an actor, yo. How could you not tell me these things? See, I wanted to surprise you. Ta-da! <laughs> it's, like it's like a Hobbit birthday party. So, yeah! <laughs> so, so, Kelby, let me ask you real quick. Give our listeners just a real quick elevator pitch on the Comets Fall series that you have up on Amazon. Uh, okay, yeah. The Comets Fall series is actually sort of the background for the, the pitch that I'm giving today. Um, and it is a ground level through a first person look at the catastrophe that leads us into the story for today. Oh, wow. uh, there's a there's a scholarly type who is embroiled in this magical catastrophe, which alters the political and natural landscape in this huge way. So, yeah, it, it basically lays the groundwork for what we're going to be talking it's, about today. It, it's so. the prequel novella to the story you're workshopping. That's badass. Yeah, that is right. Excellent. I'm well, excited. I am too. Let's get into this. Let's make this happen. <laughs> Kelby, you know how this works. We give you five to eight minutes. You give us the story title, the genre, your intended audience. Is it a series or not? Uh, uh, give us the tagline, the themes, introduce us to the world, introduce us to the characters. Uh, give us the basic tent poles of the story as you see it, and and we will dive into the brainstorming froth, man. I'm I'm getting out of the way sir the mic is all yours okay well the series is titled a sorcerer's demons and it is a post-apocalyptic fantasy story uh this will be the first book in a series uh for the hook a self-concerned sorcerer struggles with the beast in his head discovering he's the only thing between a horde of demons and the rest of the world as far as themes i would like to explore they include bad things come to those who wait and there is no good or evil, there is only circumstance. The world. The story is set in a post-apocalyptic fantasy world, one and a half centuries after a magical comet collision. Those power groups left after the catastrophe include wizards, marauders, and a smattering of city-states who are lucky enough to weather the fallout. Those successful in surviving the Starfall, as it has come to be called, are invariably those who tapped into the new magical resource, whether they used it to cast spells, as food, or even for fuel. In the setting, magic demands a sacrifice of life, drawing from magic hotspots representing the planet's life force, comet shards, the death of others, or from one's own body. There are wizards who study magic's use, items that grant magic-like powers and abilities, as well as those called attuned, who express magic-like abilities naturally, although the attuned are quite rare. 
Regardless of the source, those who cast magic too far from a hotspot risk bodily harm or even death as the spell uses their own life force to power itself. The energy shift has also been responsible for a major shift in power among the demons of the underworld. The new magic resource has expanded their psychic powers and enabled them for the first time ever to contact and even control those of the surface world when said surface worlders are under duress. Now for the characters. Our protagonist, Xanthos, is a comfort lover whose self-confidence has turned into delusions of grandeur. He wishes to become the head of the Wizards Academy of Andercap, believing that as one of the attuned, he can lead his peers to new heights. In truth, it is a family heirloom, a ruby amulet, and not the fact that he is attuned that has given him his spell-like abilities. Were it not for this magical tool and the shielding it gives his mind, his worst fear of living out in the hard, battered landscape would become a reality. Our antagonist, Ithkotal, the demon lord, lives in Xanthos's mind. It is Ithkotal's overconfidence and hubris that led he and the rest of his cast to be thrown down by their lessers after the Starfall. They are imprisoned bodily, but using the psychic talents of their race, have collectively planned an escape to the surface world to avoid genocide at the hands of the underworld's new top dogs. Though he fears what he will find on the surface world and abhors the idea of occupying such a lowly creature's form, he would make this sacrifice a thousand times over before letting his people die. Xanthos is at times aided and at times harried by two more cast members, the initiate Terrace and the bounty hunter Lamora. Terrace, a, another wizard and a believer in hard work, is Xanthos's main rival for power at the Andercap Academy. Lamora is a fortune seeker who in secret serves a demonic master, a master who has bound her to help stop Ithkotal and his cast from escaping their prison. Now for the story. As the story opens, the Archmage of Andercap has died, and in the ensuing power struggle, Xanthos and Terrace struggle over who will take her place. After much unsuccessful gainsaying, including Terrace secretly stealing Xanthos's amulet, they agree to settle the struggle with a private duel in the wilds outside of Andercap. Terrace betrays the terms of the duel, though, and brings in Lamora and her partner to capture Xanthos and sell him into slavery. She, in turn, betrays the terms she and Terrace had set up and captures Terrace as well. The group steers clear of magical hotspots, and without his amulet to protect him, Ithkotal begins a full-scale invasion of Xanthos's mind. While in the wastes, the group is attacked by bandits, and in the chaos, Ithkotal possesses Xanthos for the first time. Teros, uh, in turn, escapes with Xanthos's amulet. During his possession, Xanthos gets a glimpse into the demon's collective consciousness, revealing that other possessed are waiting to intercept the group down the road. With the group split, Terrace is the first to encounter one of the possessed, and in the ensuing struggle, he discovers that Xanthos's amulet can be used to exercise demons. He realizes that he is responsible for releasing this, the demon in Xanthos's mind onto the world and sets out to right this wrong. Back on the road, Lamora implores her master for help, and her master instructs her to seek the assistance of one of his other minions. Terrace catches up with them as they prepare for this trip. During the ensuing showdown, Xanthos is possessed again and gets back his amulet, powers, and control of his body when Terrace attempts to exercise him. He shares that he has gotten another glimpse of the demon's plans, learning of an en masse possession to happen nearby, and demands that the three do something about it. The three's rivalries and differences in beliefs lead them to a spaghetti western-style standoff, though. Xanthos sees the upper hand he has gained against the demon in his mind, and the vision spurs him into action. With his magic returned, he risks an escape. Off he heads to suppress the advancing demons, Terrace and Lamora hunting him as he goes, and into book two. <laughs> awesome. Well done, sir. Nice pitch. Very cool. Now, let me ask you real quick, Kevin, what are you looking to get out of the next eh, 45 minutes or so of brainstorming coming up? Well, let's see here. Um, there is a really, really fuzzy part in the center where the party spits, uh, splits and Terrace goes off just to serve the purpose of figuring out what the amulet can do. So cleaning <laughs> that would be uh, clean that up would be nice uh, as well. Uh, making the whole my conscience is evil thing work uh, would also be uh, something I'm looking to figure out. Oh, there's so much you can do with that. You don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> You've come to the right place, Kelby. Very cool. Awesome. Well, let's dive into this. But before we do, we must, I'm afraid, cover our ass. Uh, 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 Denise? Yes? For, for the hundredth time. Because <laughs> i got to keep saying that over and over. For the hundredth time, for our centennial performance, sir, would you be so kind as to deliver the patented roundtable podcast disclaimer? I would. Now listen very carefully, Master Kelby. I'm listening. 
You are about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspiration. It is important you realize that everything said from this point forward by myself, Dave, or Cat Rambo might be complete shite. <laughs> this is your story, and you decide what to use and what to cast aside. It won't hurt our feelings, we promise. Are you cool with that? Uh, am I crazy if I'm actually looking forward to the shot? <laughs> <laughs> no, you are an official round table round tabellion, uh, yes. uh, round tableite. Yes, you're you're one of us. <laughs> All right, <laughs> very one cool. With 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 our butts covered, let's roll into this bad boy. And we always start with a once around the table, just a quick observation of of what's jumped out at you about the the pitch and any questions of clarification so and we always start with our guest host so cat rambo start us off what are your first impressions of kelby's pitch and and what questions do you have my first question is so how how much of this is written kelby how much of this is written Mm -hmm. um there is a rough draft kicking around on my uh hard drive but uh all of it is subject to change (laughs) okay cool beans cool beans it sounds to me like you have a really good handle on the outline and I, i think that some of the stuff that you're asking questions about will sort of as you write your way into it, some of that will clarify. Mm-hmm. But I do have some stuff that I think will be useful to you moving forward. Okay, great. Excellent. Excellent. Any any questions or things that didn't make sense, Kat? When you talked about Xanthos's amulet, that's the relic that gives him the power that makes him overconfident, right? Mm, yes, that's right. Okay. That's, there's my question. Okay, very good. We'll move on to Denise then. Denise, first impressions and questions of clarification for Kelby. I love this so much. Oh my God, <laughs> it's so great. Oh, thank you. Oh, it's, it's the kind of story that, that reminds me of Terry Pratchett, if, if you know what I mean. Ooh. Um, right? Yeah, Seriously. I can see that. I can see yeah. that. Oh, okay. Yeah, the only thing that really jumped out at me is is our our dearest Xenthos, who is just so great. I love guys with delusions of grandeur because you can make them into so much fun. It seems to me with his amulet and and I, it 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 kind of it kind of seems to me like um, he he's getting this information rather than. I don't know how to put this any better than, than hunting for it. You know what I mean? I, I understand the collective consciousness and all of that, but mm-hmm. it, it kind of it seems to me like it's a bit too easy, you know, like, it, like it's, it's, it's very plot devicey almost where, oh, okay. yeah, you, you see what I'm saying? Where well, it's let, like, me, let me ask a question real quick. Uh, how does that amulet work? Kelby does do, do spells just come into his mind or, or is it just an, an attunement to magic and he has to still study and learn magic, or or is it really just that simple? He just thinks and it happens. Well, the way that this works is uh, he sort of studies over the device. Um, uh, he, he basically sits there in in like prolonged meditation sessions, and so like realizations that happen in his mind during the meditations re- reveal themselves in powers after that. So, sort of the way that like in in classical fantasy, a sorcerer might just sort of you know as they as they meditate, as they get experiences in the world, they receive powers from that sort of thing. Okay. Um, so it's not just like, I'm a, I'm a badass. I'm going to sling spells. And why? Cause I got a gem on my chest thing. <laughs> no, it's, it actually does take a little bit, a little bit of work on the power side. And okay. as far as the, uh, the getting the information, like mm-hmm. the, the, the peering into the collective consciousness, there is like a really torturous physical toll that comes along with being possessed uh, one thing that didn't come out in the pitch is that each time that he's possessed, uh, the the demon Ithkotal is utilizing uh, his own life force to physically transform the vessel. So he has things like sprouting claws and fangs and all these things. Uh, and along with that, there's also a certain like mental toll. He's like doing psychic battle, trying to get back control of his mind as well. Oh. So uh, I guess that I, I don't know if that answers the question, but that's kind of what oh, I had no, in mind. No, it, it does. It it kind of brings things a little bit more into perspective, I think, on my end. Okay. Cool. For myself, Kelby, I will I will echo the squee of Denise. Uh, this 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 framework. First of all, the setting, the 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 comet that brings the magic. I I I'm not widely read enough to know if that's been done before, but that strikes me as very fresh. Uh, uh, and Thank the you. fallout that comes from that is is a a cool uh, variation on that, and I, I like that. Um, couple of questions. Uh, what was the what were the um, the bodies of of power of political power that evolved after the comet fell from your world section? 
in the pitch, it was mages, marauders, and a collection of city-states. Okay, cool, cool. I like that. I like that because uh, it, it, it allows for non-magic people to engage with the magic, uh, people steeped in the magic. You, you can have a very rich culture uh, evolve mm-hmm. from that. And I think that, you know, the world builder in me goes, oh, hell yeah, I like that. <laughs> um, that's 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 a beautiful thing. Um I'm having a problem. My my sense from the pitch was that Xanthos thinks he's attuned, but he's really not. Is did I get that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, he's basically had this amulet with him since birth, and it doesn't really separate his, from his body very much. So uh, he doesn't actually realize that this is a a magical device. Okay. This this kind of I have a tough time with that uh, uh, because okay. uh, just because at some point in his life. Somewhere mm-hmm. he's going to be separate. He's going to be taking a bath. Uh, uh, the string around his neck rots. The the chain rusts. Whatever for a moment, for long moments maybe mm-hmm. he would be without that thing. And if he ever tried to do magic uh, uh, without the amulet, he would know. He would know he's not attuned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, just from a character honesty standpoint, for for me, I'm. I'm wondering if we can look at him from the perspective of him being aware that he's not attuned, not caring because he has the badass amulet, but be, maybe a little more self-awareness to to counter the, which I love the the, the self-indulgent uh, uh, round fellow who just delights in the in the finer things of life. I like that aspect of it. I don't want to lose that. Um, mm-hmm. But that was that was just one thing that popped out at me. Um, I'm thinking Lamora's getting short shrift uh, uh, in terms of narrative. And okay. I'd, I'd like to, because uh, uh, she's got this demon lord who's who's pulling her chains. Uh, is she, is, does, does, is, does the demon actually have a handle on her soul or is she just catching, is she getting paid for this? What's her, what's her horse in this game? Well, as a fortune seeker, um, this entity is promising her payment for basically turning in bounties of these possessed. The, the idea here is that this this possession thing has been it's been slowly happening over the past decade and so uh, the the new top dogs of the underworld as I called them uh, they are trying to put their own mechanisms in place to keep the okay. prisoners from escaping right. and she represents a part of that um, part of the, the people on the surface who are being organized to kind of guard against that but her master uh, so is when, a demon right? Yeah, her master is a demon. Uh, it is one of the demons who cast down Ithkotal and his cast. So basically they're trying to keep them from escaping and causing trouble in the future. And does Lamora know that? Uh, Lamora, I, I haven't toyed around with that very much. Um, okay. Lamora, she, uh, in, in her backstory, she has this overwhelming debt that keeps, she, she's a foreigner to these lands and she has an overwhelming debt back home that's keeping her from returning. Uh, and so... Okay. Uh, she's basically just trying to take care of that by by whatever means necessary. So she's basically most more interested in the money because of the 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 good that it's going to do in her life, rather than actually how okay. she ends up getting that money. Okay, that's cool, and and th- mm-hmm. that that works. That's totally cool. I have I have alternatives. What a shock! Uh, uh, but okay. we can explore that later. Um, mm-hmm. Ithkotal, why is he have such a hard on for Xanthos? What is it about Xanthos? Out of all the schleps in the world that he could possess. Why is Ethkotal possessing Xanthos? The way that I have that built in to be revealed uh, later on down the narrative in, you know, a couple of other books on, uh, would be that, uh, his grandfather or father or somebody, uh, was meddling around with, uh, communicating with the underworld. And so there was already an existing pact of some kind that was broken. And so, uh, is, sort of utilizing this to kill two birds with one stone, exact revenge on the, about this broken okay. uh, this broken pact, as well as to, to get the hell out of Dodge. Okay. We can play with that too. That's nice. The other the only other observation I had was uh, Terrace. Now mm-hmm. I really like Terrace for one thing that happens. At the beginning of the story, he's this bastard who just wants to run what, Ender Endercap is the name of the the magic organization. That is right. Okay. He just wants to run Andercap and he's going to like betray Xanthos. He's a bastard. He's, he's untrustworthy. He's an ambitious ladder climber. And yet later in the story, when he learns that he has inadvertently unleashed a demon through the form of the possessed Xanthos, his first instinct is to make it right. Mm-hmm. 
which completely flies in the face of this bastard scheming, climbing, only cares about power and ambition. And that depth right there actually made Terrace more interesting to me than Xanthos. Okay. Uh, because there's complexity there. And Xanthos seems fairly linear and and his path seems, you know, he, he has challenges, but I, I that one choice on Terrace's part made me want to learn more about him than I did about Xanthos. Okay. So so I, I, I want to affirm that in Terrace, but I also want to find things that can make Lamora and Xanthos more muy, muy awesome uh, as well. Okay. So those are my initial observations. All right, let's dive into this. Uh, yes. uh, Kat, lead us off. Man. Where do you want to dive in first? You want to dive into character? You want to dive into well, world story? Where, where's your Where's your starting point? I, I want to hit on, on two things uh, that I think are important that you want to think about as you're um, kind of sitting down and starting to write. And okay. the first is, why do I care about any of these characters? And I, when I say I, I mean I, the reader. You know, so what are the points of identification with the characters for your reader? Where are the points where they're like, oh, that guy's just like me? Uh, mm. you know, that, you know, it, where are the moments where they're like, oh, they like puppies too? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it's that sort of thing which makes people care enough that they keep on reading and and so i think one of the things that you want to think about because it sounds to me like just from uh what dave was saying and, and that back and forth that, that you do want to kind of go back to uh terrace uh and lamora and sort of exploit them a little more you don't want to okay. and, and, and i'm presuming that xanthos is your main point of view character what are you doing with points of view like how are you working that um, well, there's the, the 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 party separation sort of thing that happens uh, there in the middle, uh, and that would be a breaking point of view back and forth between mm-hmm. um, what's happening with Terrace and what's happening with Xanthos. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be third person just because there's there's different mm-hmm. thoughts and things to be dealing with here. Because if I mean if we're in Xanthos's mind constantly and we're just getting he's evil, what's he going to do? Kill this guy? I wouldn't make for a very good experience. Um, so. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, we're going to be bouncing around a little bit when the when all of them are together. Uh, it's going to be seen through Xanthos's eyes and his okay. belief system, um, okay. but especially in in book two when they're all kind of split up and doing their own thing, it's going to be kind of bouncing back and forth right. between these three characters. I would I would look at I would look for a couple of books uh, that do that and just kind of okay. see how they manage to handle it because I I I say this from someone who like at one point I had was trying to work on a novel that had like thirteen different points of view and it was horrible. Oh man! Uh, <laughs> um, so I just look and see how other people have done it and kind of think about sort of who you want carrying the story because those the, that's the person that it's most important that your reader like and understand. Okay. And I love Xanthos. I, I, I do love the idea of this kind of dilettante who's like, I'm, I'm hot shit. And then he's like, <laughs> Oh crap, I'm not, you know, and I think that's, that's awesome. And I love the fact that he sort of steps forward. I think that, I mean, actually the stuff with, uh, is, is it Zeith Kotal? Um, uh, if Kotal, if Kotal, if Kotal, my notes are, uh, and I can tell you right now that every narrator that's going to read that story will curse your they're name. They're all going to the- say uh, they're going to they're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. <laughs> but make the amulet uh, linked to Yiskotel in yes. some way. Yes, that's, okay. that's something that you have to do. I think that's, that's uh, and that will help tie things together uh, nicely. Exactly. Um, yes, I like that. I like that a lot. In okay. fact, you know, in talking about the whole uh, uh, grandfather having uh, uh, packs with the dead and so on and so forth, he probably used that amulet uh, to see? do that. Yeah. And, yeah. and so it, by immersing himself in that amulet, I can see Xanthos actually transforming. He wasn't attuned before he put on that amulet, before that amulet was put around his neck, clearly, because he's had it his whole life. Uh, but through constant exposure, which is probably something you shouldn't do with magic items anyway, uh, mm-hmm. he has literally rewired his magical field to be something utterly unique, to be a conduit of the dead. Oh. Yeah, uh, and you could, have you read the, the what is it, Night Watch and Day Watch? Uh, and they've got like when they're in the psychic realm and there's all the kind of shaggy death moss all but, over everything, but you can only see it if you're a wizard. 
I and haven't. That's awesome. That's awesome. To play with his perceptions. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Cool. Cool. And and I have a thing. I have a thing. Okay. Yeah. I friggin' love Xanthos. The the whole idea of this guy being just this this delusions of grandeur just tickles mm-hmm. my fancy to no end because you can play with him. But and and this is going into what Dave said before, where at some point you know he would have had to taken it off, and then he would have had to figure out that he's not magical. And I formally disagree, sir. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think even though. Because, and and let's pretend that we've tied this into the demon, right? I think even though he would have taken it off, some of that power would have kept, would have bled into him, making him magical, air quotes, to where he's been tricked his entire life to thinking he's special. And when it's finally taken away, his coming down to reality, like his punch in the gut is, wow, I'm not special at all. I'm not special. Yeah, yeah, so it makes him rethink his entire worldview, and that would bring him more into the reader, like, oh, shit, man, this poor guy. And and you can make him, like, this really cocky bastard, but yeah. mm-hmm. in the way that, you know, he's, he's like the really smart guy who's actually kind of stupid when you really get to know him, but you love him anyway. <laughs> you can play with that, and... and this this amulet is kind of his curse and his savior at the same time, but we have this Disney moment where this emotional climax where no dude you're really not special at all. Right, it's a great dark <laughs> time of the soul. I, I and, yeah. and every character needs that. I think that's awesome. Let me let me go back though because uh, I had two things that I wanted to say uh, yes. that you want to think about as you're okay. going forward, and the other is that. You want to think about what makes your world cool and neat and what makes it atmospheric. And you want to spend some time when you're doing kind of drudge work, just staring off into space and thinking not about just how it looks, but how it smells and sounds and and how cold is the wind and does it smell of what and, and just sort of. Uh, as much physical sensation as you can get, because okay. I, I disagree that that the sort of the magic catastrophe and aftermath is is. I mean, no no story is going to be original. I mean, and this is this has been done, but what you do with it is what makes it wonderful and special and cool. You want the reader to have that kind of blissful immersion where they're just like, wow, this is a cool landscape. I'm marching through it with Xanthos. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and the magic too, uh, giving, giving yeah. sensory elements to the magic. What does oh, it feel yeah. like? What does it smell like? What does it taste like? You know, that that's often gets short shrift in, in, in magic centric areas. And, and mm-hmm. that would be very cool. Um, yes. and, and, and also the, the, the various, uh, factions of magic that you've evolved and the different ways magic can be uh, uh, worked on having that immersed into the cultures as well and having this you know very codified at least in terms of folklore and belief of the different types of magic this is an attuned this is somebody that uses items this is someone that that -hmm. works magic directly having your culture reflect and mirror and the people of that culture reflect and mirror those magical choices gives more depth and richness to that fallout from the star as well. Yeah, and especially if, like, um, attuned people are more celebrated than everybody else. Is or they're reviled. Just, yeah, are they reviled? Are they loved? Are they placed on a pedestal? You know, what do, what do the other magical users think of them? And then, of course, what do the regular non-magical people think of everybody else waving their magic powers around like they're something special? Yeah. You want you want to give us that 3D experience. Well, and one yeah. of the cool things that was about, uh, uh, I don't know if any of, you, any of you guys ever played Mage the Ascension by White Wolf, uh, but one of the cool things about that was that with each of the magical colleges, they had this section on what the other colleges thought about that college. And and what you're describing, Denise, and, and working with those, how, how are like the attuned looked at by all of the different facets and factors and political factions in play in the country, in, in this, in this, in this world. And it would, it would almost be like Oxford versus Cambridge or Yale versus Stanford. Sure. Between those two, but there's like five or six. How do you, you know, some people don't care. Some people don't. I guess what I'm saying is it's an opportunity to explore the richness and diversity of human response to a very unnatural 
development. And that's that's what's intriguing to me. So, And I wanted to actually riff a little bit on that dark time of the soul that you invoked, Denise. Um, uh, and, and Kelby, here's where I want to shift your narrative a little bit. There's that whole section okay. where they, where they uh, uh, kind of separate off and, and Terrace has that wonderful moment all by himself of, of things, oh my God, the amulet, I've, I've unleashed a demon. What if, instead of having you know, soldiers attack them in the wilderness and, and the amulet is knocked off and so on, what if... What if we bypass that altogether and cut to Lamora presenting her prizes to her demon master? Okay. And in that moment, and let's say this is one of Ithkotal's primary objectives. These are these are the gatekeepers, right? These are the watchers who are trying to keep the demons down. Mm-hmm. So it would be really a coup for Ithkotal if he could kill one of the gatekeepers. Oh, okay. And so he he wants he wants uh, Xanthos to be captured by Lamora. He wants him to be presented to the demon so that he can channel himself through the amulet and kill that demon gatekeeper. Uh, uh, and then now now we've got character conflict for uh, Lamora because holy crap, I've been working for a demon my whole life. Uh, 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 and and uh, um, Xanthos has that that moment when he realizes, oh damn, uh, uh, I'm 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 part of the problem. Uh, what it does, unfortunately, is it takes away Terrace's nice moment of of actually making a noble choice when up to this point he's been presented as something of a bastard. But I think that solves mm-hmm. a lot of your problems. Of of it, it creates a very high point, a crisis point, a climax uh, uh, that has a lot of reveals and stuff uh, uh, and and stuff that's technical terms for writing and things so what do you what do you guys think no no, no I I, I want to say I absolutely love that because I was originally having a style as like um, uh, Lamora kind of takes a look in the mirror and okay well here's my demonic patron and I know exactly mm-hmm. what's going on but having that hidden having that actually having her actually have that discovery that also adds excellent depths of the character i love 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 that idea it can really serve as a a, a gestalt to bring the characters together Mm -hmm. and and really you can still make terrace i'm probably saying that so wrong but you can still make him have a noble choice but i Mm -hmm. think for the first book you you kind of you kind of want him to be that bastard for a bit because you want to have the conflict between the two men and then for the next book, you you kind of see him grow as a character. You don't you don't want all of these characters to grow at the same time, and and especially like since this is going to be a series, you, you want them you want them to kind of stumble over themselves and then grow into the people that they're meant to be. Well, and don't let the conflict okay. be just between the two men. You can have Lamora saying, "You freaking wizards." I am so sick of you, freaking wizard, and have her be the voice of the non-magic populace. And oh let, yeah, there you go. And let her be. You know, I hate both of you. You both, both of you suck. Cat, uh, what do you think? <laughs> I like that a lot. I think that is terrific. <laughs> that, that's got some legs. Uh, so, but that what that does then is it kind of screws up screws up our end game uh, because as as the story was presented initially, that moment didn't happen until the final you know spaghetti western good bad and the ugly standoff when all three of them are sitting there going uh what are we gonna do now uh so we need a different end game at that point uh uh mm-hmm. to to take us from that crisis point of revelation of oh crap i'm not that special in fact i'm i'm a curse a blight upon the land uh oh crap i've been i've been serving a demon all my life and terrace going this is bigger than ambition this is bigger than power uh, uh, this is salvation. We we need to do something about this. Um, well, I think you still have that spaghetti western moment. I, I think mm-hmm. I think that that western moment might be key. But now you're having all of these characters come face to face with that different cho- with with their choices. But the right. amulet is at the center of it. So really, we have the standoff. We we have Clint Eastwood in there somewhere chewing on a cigar, looking mm-hmm. at our characters, and you have them all dive for the amulet at the same time, each with their own different goals, and then one of them grabs that amulet and runs the hell away, like, fuck you guys, I'm out of here. I am making my own choices and these choices, and and this is key here, but this choice that I make is the best one because I am above all of you. My my 
my choices are greater than all of you, so my choice to run away with this amulet is going to screw all of you, and I don't care. <laughs> yeah, that's well, it. I, I wonder if that could be Xanthos. If, you know, if Terrace yeah. knocks it away... And we have this moment, and then in the aftermath, the the demon gatekeeper is dead. Uh, Lamore is sitting there with her jaw on the ground, going, "Holy crap!" Terrace maybe is wounded and sitting there, and Xanthos panting after the the power of of uh, Ithkotal maybe wanes a bit. Uh, uh, snatches up the amulet and runs out, and now you've got this chase going on. Uh, for for uh, Act Two into Act Three, maybe where Lamora and Terrace are chasing Xanthos and, and we can actually follow Xanthos through his dark time of the soul and how he comes mm-hmm. to grip with that. Yeah. And then you, it follows along with his character because with his character, with this grandiose gentleman that you presented, it would, it would fall in line for him to be like, I don't want to lose that. I want to right. be special, right. you know, mm-hmm. and my specialness trumps everybody else. Screw you guys. I'm going home with my <laughs> amulet. And then you have that dark moment of, oh, God, I'm really a bastard. So it, it kind of follows. And then you can seg into book two, book three. And it's, it's very easy because you still have that conflict going. Kat, was there something else you wanted to explore? No, I'm actually kind of really enjoying all the action-y stuff. I, I mainly just wanted to know what it is about the characters that makes the reader able to sort of fit themselves into that role and enjoy the wild romp that you guys are creating. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, let, me, let me ask you this, and, and, and it could be just because of the people that, that are gathered here on the Skype line right now, but when I heard Kelby's pitch, I heard comedy. Yes, I, I yes. heard I heard a almost a Terry Pratchett esque uh, oh, uh, exploration yes. of culture and society and power, and and having there be like those wonderful tongue in cheek, uh, uh, hilarious moments on and on and on and on until we get to those wonderful moments that Pratchett does where he strips everything away and bears your soul before you and you're left struck dumb and mute. Uh, but uh, which is the same thing, dumb and mute. So let's just move on from that redundancy. <laughs> what do you think, Kat? Is, I, is there humor here? I really, I love the idea of, of it as comedy, mainly because I get very tired of epic fantasy that takes itself over, overly seriously. <laughs> so, but the other, the caveat I would offer up is is that humor is very hard to write, and it is it mm. is much harder than to write than the stuff that takes itself seriously. Yeah. But I would look at uh, one series that manages to pull off funny and multiple points of view that I recommend to people often is uh, the Sam Sykes series. Yes, the last name is S Y K E S. It's a very and it's very funny. I would look to see who else who else is writing funny stuff right now. Um, Jim Butcher. Yeah, uh, right. Robert who Bennett. Else, who else is good? Robert Bennett does does some wonderful dark. Oh, humor. Robert Bennett. Um, yeah, Christopher Morse is hilarious, except for yeah. that Sonic Blue. That was terrible. Oh, that was a terrible book. <laughs> well, and you can go back to the the Bob Aspirin books. All the Robert oh, Aspirin stuff. Yes. Is wonderful. The Garrett and then the, the Glenn, Garrett novels uh, uh, by um, Glenn Cook. Glenn. Oh, those are fabulous. And yeah, okay, they're all, they've all got metal in the top. Oh, yes. those books are so good. Sweet Silver Blues. Right. Yep. Yeah, oh. Good stuff. And those are all based on Nero Wolf. The really? brain is there. The, yeah. I Actually, somebody was that. telling me about that. You go through, if you read the, one of the Nero Wolf books and then you go through and look at it, you're like, oh, yeah, actually, it's very close. Easter egg. Easter, Easter egg. egg. <laughs> That's it, exactly. <laughs> Very cool, Kelby. What do you think? Uh, uh, I, I don't know where you are in your in your writerly voice, but uh, does does comedy fall in your wheelhouse? Do you think? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, in the first kind of dry run through of this, when I was working when I was working on it, there was comedy that just kind of slipped into it anyway. It's kind of with the with the quip, uh, the quips and things. I, I I've always been a fan of, uh, especially in television, of of. Um, comedy that kind of disarms the reader so we have a comedic moment heading into a, a moment where we kind of pull the tablecloth off the table and everything crashes on the ground and we have a catastrophe so i think i think i could really work with that um does that jive though with the um the sort of oh my god horrible things happening at the end sort of thing yes. i guess that's yes. kind of what i'm what i'm having trouble yes. with it, it so, does 
Okay. Still can be so awful to them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, well, cool. Never mind then. <laughs> I, I think, I think, and, and here's where, here's where I'll tell you to uh, read Sebastian de Castel. Not because I absolutely love his books because I do. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> but because he has that dry, acerbic, we're going into a moment where I am probably going to die, but here is a joke that will make you laugh. Yeah. As, yeah. as our our dear beloved Falcio, who doesn't know when to put down his sword because he's bleeding in three places, but screw it, you know, I'm going to go in anyway and okay. die. And he has that humor, which I think will work out wonderfully for you because, oh my God, this story screams so much humor. I, I think to not put humor in this would, would kind of shortchange this story, especially, I mean, you have a demon who lives in okay. a guy's head. <laughs> <laughs> If that doesn't scream comedy. I don't know what does. <laughs> yeah. So, Kat, how any any advice on how you can blend that that very serious, very dark? You know, I, the, the 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 world that that Kelby has presented does have some very dark elements to it. Any any advice on how you can blend those two uh, aspects in the narrative? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you to another writer that I think you should read, who's Joe Abercrombie. Yes. Okay. Who, yes. who manages dark and funny. And, and that's actually that's a good model to use, and I have used it myself, which is you get to a certain point and you're like, I want to write this, and go and look and see what other people have done. And I'm not saying go copy it, but certainly you go and you find strategies. And you're like, oh, okay. they did that with the tenses. Oh, look at how they managed to... I mean, like Abercrombie does fabulous things with transitions, and I have, I have freely pilfered that technique. Uh, so, you know, look to see what you can use. So, so one might say, okay. go and look for some literary techniques for genre writing. Sure. Ah, there it is. <laughs> see, I brought it all oh, back around. Okay. Full There's circle. the tie-in. There's the nice. tie-in. There nice. it is. <laughs> nice. Nice. Awesome. Very cool. Well, guys, I'm looking at the clock and it, it's starting to tick down. So uh, I'm going to move us into that final stage of the roundtable where we give final thoughts, inspirations, anything you didn't get a chance to put out in the, in the brainstorm proper. Basically, fill Kelby's pockets full of literary gold so he can go off and write this dark comedy epic fantasy thing that we've kind of explored with him cat we'll start with you ma'am final thoughts for kelby the most important thing is to get your butt in chair and <laughs> write it write a complete draft and give yourself but give yourself total permission for that first draft to be total crap because you can take a first draft and make it into something wonderful and and you can't do that with a blank page yep you can't okay. edit a blank page. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. Denise, what about you? So the other most important thing to do is to friend me on Facebook. So <laughs> when this gets published, I can buy it. Because I really want the thing. I'm, I'm not even kidding here. I really <laughs> want it. But I mean, the, the other most important thing is to, is to fill your toolbox with techniques and tips that you can use and, and really all of the suggestions for books that, that we've made, I, I think you should go and you should you should at least skim through them and kind of get the the gist of what they're doing so then you can go back and, and try and use it in your own writing. Because, I mean, there is no shame in going back to Mark Twain and saying, okay, dude, how did you do the thing? And highlighting what he has done so then you can you can use it in your own writing not as Kat said not necessarily copying it but understand how it worked and then trying to to work it into your own writing very good and and for myself Kelby a couple of things um one there was a concern that I didn't get a chance to raise in the actual brainstorm that I'm just going to throw out here and let you wrestle with uh, uh and of course we can email and stuff if, if if it becomes necessary but your primary antagonist doesn't show up at all until act two. Okay. I think that's a problem. And, and I think we sort of addressed it a bit with the idea that Ithkotal is linked to the amulet. Uh, I think Ithkotal needs to show up earlier in lore, uh, needs to be a prominent figure, uh, maybe a prominent figure for Xanthos, uh, a, a point of terror for Xanthos. Maybe it was a point of terror for his grandfather. Uh, uh, and his grandfather says, son, don't fuck with the Kotal because he'll mess you up, boy. Um, or whatever, <laughs> you know, uh, legends of laying waste to cities, blah, 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 all the things. Um, but he, he needs to have a presence. He needs to have a voice in the narrative early on. 
Um, so okay. that's that's one of the first things that I think is is really important, so that we establish him as a character uh, and dread his arrival. So when he does arrive, we're going, oh crap, um, we're screwed. Uh, yeah, exactly. The other thing is um, making Lamora, Terrace, and Xanthos uh, uh, equal partners in this story. Um, uh, elevate Terrace and Lamora to maybe not co-protagonists. Uh, but I think the dynamic between them, because Xanthos represents the magic, Terrace can really be kind of the political power dude, uh, uh, the machina- the Machiavellian guy, and Lamora mm-hmm. can be the voice of magic has done nothing but mess with our lives. We don't need it. It was the worst thing in the world that happened when the star fell. And having those three perspectives provides this wonderful triangle of conflict between all three and then when they find that moment of of unity when they scrape past their prejudices and find that common core that unites them it makes that moment that much more powerful and now we're going yes the team is together go kick that demon's ass and, yeah. and we're ready to go so all righty so those 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 are my final thoughts so all right Kelby, that was a that was a fabulous frothing brainstorm, uh, uh, and and that doesn't happen unless you bring awesomeness to the table, which you absolutely did. Well done. Uh, now here's the deal: the standing offer here at the roundtable. You write this thing, and trust me, you don't want Denise as an enemy. So just write it just, for, your, for your own good. Write the damn thing, uh, and Cat can be a formidable foe as well. And she's told you to write it That's too. So true. write write that sucker. Um, put it out in the world, whether it's a PDF on your website or your self pub or small pub or get a big five car. I don't care, but get it out in the world so it's affecting people's minds. And when you do, you let us know. We'll bring you back and we will knight you, sir. We will make you a knight of the round table podcast. <laughs> what do you yeah. say? You down with that? That sounds excellent to me. <laughs> I, I think so too. And we've had a couple of nighting ceremonies and they're pretty badass. Uh, uh, so yeah, make that scene. Kelby, dude, thank you so much for, for, for stepping up. Uh, uh, seriously, there's, there's nothing scarier than offering up your baby for, for conversation and perusal. So well done for that. Thank you so much for setting a fine table and for contributing to the round table so fabulously, sir. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you again, everybody for coming and, filling my mind with this buzzing and crackling feeling that I need to throw onto the, uh, the page. <laughs> our work is, it is what we do. And, and our work is done here. We ride off into the sunset. Awesome. Uh, cat Rambo, as always a delight and a pleasure. Thank you so much for, for adding deepening, widening and, and other adjectives that in, indicate expanding of minds, <laughs> hearts, and thoughts. Uh, we so very much appreciate it, man. Almost as much as we appreciate the next time you're coming on. Awesome. Awesome. Always happy to. Will I see you at Worldcon this year? Uh, you will see me at Worldcon? You'll see me at Balticon. Excellent. So, oh, yeah, Balticon. Okay, so we'll see multiple times. I know. Excellent. There's going to be multiple crisscrosses of Dave and Cat. It's going to be awesome. Very Super. cool. All right. Uh, and Thank you so much. Absolutely. Oh yes, indeed. Denise, my 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 co-host with the most host. Mo- yeah, don't even go there. That's just crazy. Uh, <laughs> you 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 continue to be a delight on, in my in my Facebook feed, on my Twitter feed, and and in in the world. And that has been doubly true as my co-host, uh, ma'am. Let's do this again, okay? Yes, please. Please do not hesitate. This was so much fun. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And when you hit awesomeness, you 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 got it. You got to keep doing that thing. Don't 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 let that go. Yes. And as long yes. as we're doling out the gratitude, friends, thank you for tuning in and hitting that play button. That's why we put these things out in the world. Otherwise, we're four people talking on a Skype line, which is cool, but doesn't do you any good. And that's kind of why we do this. So when you hit that play button, you actually help us fulfill our goal. And we are grateful for that as well. If you're in fuego, if you if you're if your creative mojo has has caught fire, uh, as certainly all of ours has. Please feel free, you know, tweet about us, blog about us, uh, share a Facebook post, let the world know about the roundtable. There's awesomeness happening here. And actually, it's really darn selfish of you to keep it all to yourself. So share it with the, it is, yes, share it with the world. So, God, 
Again, I opened a window and it's still like 15 degrees hotter in here than it was when we started. This always happens. Uh, uh, and, and exhausted as we all are, friends, in two weeks, in 14 days, we're going to start this bad boy up all over again. We are going to bring back another fabulous guest host to pour wisdom in our ears, uh, a courageous guest writer to, to set the table for a brainstorming feast, more roundtable fabulosity to be had by all. But I know... I mean, 14 days. It's just, it's like we're, we want to hurt you and we don't, we really don't. Denise, help, help our listeners out. What can they do between now and 14 days from now uh, to make that time just fly by? Our readers can be writing. Our listeners can be reading. More importantly, our listeners can be creating. It'll make the time fly by. Oh my God. Yes. And make the world more awesome. Uh, uh, Seriously, every time you make something and put it out in the world, you add to the conversation. Uh, And that's kind of badass. Excellent, excellent advice. And I will tell you, friends, as I always do, you find what you're looking for. So look for that top shelf blue label goodness. Look for the lost Christmas package at the back of the tree, the loose change in the sofa. If you look for it, well, I can't promise the loose change. But if you look for the awesomeness in the world, I promise you, friends, you will find it. We will see you in two weeks. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation, or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.